I was just taken back to like old school, black and white, New York City, Ellis Island, Wall Street in the beginning phases. Um, The beauty industry is truly where it was starting. And it's incredible to get a behind the scenes of history and in a way that I had never expected and in a way that I am forever blessed because today's podcast guest, Megan DiMartino, she's been there. She's done that. And she has had a lifelong career in beauty through service and with such a heart. Her heart is incredible and it's always been in a surrendered spirit and also a confident one. And she does it with such grace, you guys. It's incredible. She's an award winner. She has incredible exits, yes, exits of two seven-figure businesses. Um, But I was saying at the very tail end of this conversation, and I, I really encourage you to listen to it with this lens of like a book or a fairy tale or a movie because I got the revelation that this idea of her life. I mean, it's truly who she is and how she's walked hopes and possibilities. It's the book that she's written. That's just over the horizon. God has something magnificent in store as she continues to share her story and she's just getting started. So make sure you follow Megan DiMartino in all of the places, get her book and tune in to every, every second of this show. It is so good. Megan, I love you. This is your God wink, the moment that heaven says, for such a time as this. It's time to own your joy, prioritize your health, discover your wealth, and exude your wholeness. It's time to become truly fit. However, this isn't a fitness podcast, though I'm a retired personal trainer and nutritionist. This isn't business jargon or tips and tricks to landing your successful passion project, though that's totally why I'm a business coach. This isn't a quick fix health detox ploy, though I'm all for therapy and I love whole foods. I do have a YOLO side sweet tooth though. This isn't confusing religious banter, though I'm an ordained minister still figuring out the many things and facets and faces of Jesus. It's really none of that. So I'm wondering if you're wondering, what is this? Well, This is an opportunity to join me alongside other big dreamers, innovative movers, and lifestyle shakers as we explore and share our messy comeback stories and discoveries with each of you fellow passionate seekers. The Fit and Faith movement was birthed through my own trial and error discovery of mind, body, and soul alignment, and to be totally transparent, my own entrepreneurial crash and burn experiences. I've learned firsthand that being fit isn't about our physique at all. It's not about our qualifying abilities or titles. It's not about our potential. It's truly about our God-gifted passions meeting our purpose. You are one step away from achieving your idea, your dream, your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call it. And I want to be there for the moment that you say yes in freedom, clarity, and confidence that you are living fully fit in who and whose you were made to be. Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast with me, Tamara Andress. There is no better time than now to get fit. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, hello. So excited to have you here today. This is going to be an incredible episode. If you guys have never met Megan DiMartino, well, you're about to, obviously, because she's here with us, but also we're going to dive deep into who she is based on whose she is. And Megan and I are newfound friends as of 2021. Thank you, Clubhouse. Thank you to the Embrace Your Ambition Conference in uh, Denver, Colorado earlier this year. And now, most recently, the Breakfast with Champions event, the Consortium, Consortium, Consortium. I can't say it. What is it? What? Consortium. <laughs> Whatever it was that we just went to that was magical, we got an extra layer into our relationship. And so I'm excited for people to have a peek into that and a peek into your heart that is so pure and um, has driven me into a place of peace every time we're together. So thank you for being here. My pleasure, Tamara. Honestly, just a joy. I was looking so forward to this and carried a few pieces of equipment because as you shared, we were in New York City this past weekend and now I'm in New Jersey. So 
I didn't realize you were in New Jersey. Okay. And then I read on your bio too, that you are actually a New York girl living in Texas. So I didn't know you had New York roots. That makes total sense with your fashionable ways. Yeah, I grew up on Long Island. And, uh, you know, like you just said, my father and mother were very entrepreneurial and very creative and visionary people in their own arenas. And my dad um, loved going into Manhattan. We grew, uh, grew up on, born and grew up on Long Island, but not that far out, meaning Long Island, as you experienced the other evening, is long. And so we <laughs> lived closer to the city. And so we would pop into the city a lot of Sundays after church and just mosey around, uh, you know, and just explore because he was a young man, didn't have a lot of money. But that DNA is in my spirit. Absolutely. Yes. Well, it shows in everything you do. And it makes total sense to me now that I know that. But it's amazing that like entrepreneurial piece that also essentially shed into who you are um, based on the example of of your father or your mom as well. Or my mother was. um Create. My father was much more overt in his entrepreneurial dynamic, but my mother was a wonderful seamstress. And so as life went on, uh, I went to Catholic school. So, of course, I wore a uniform. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I grew up, uh, you know, prom dresses and even my wedding dress, but prom dresses uh, we would create together. And uh, so she would she had the ability to take a pattern and break it up and uh, get a pattern of a sleeve, let's say, and then a bodice of another pattern. And, you know, yes. And so we designed together. And I thought I was going to be a dress designer. I thought that's what I was going to do. Yes. That's amazing. How long did you guys do that together? Like all the way through your wedding, you're saying even after? Through my first wedding, uh, first marriage. Yes. That wedding dress was she and I designed together. Yeah, that's pretty magnificent. So tell us about the transition of how all of those endeavors have led into your and I say success. Right. And we talk about this often here is that success is a figment of our imagination and it's also to be understood in every different context to who we are and everyone's idea and definition is different. Um, but from a business and an entrepreneurial perspective, knowing that you've sustained and scaled two seven figure businesses mm -hmm. in the skincare industry. I mean, it's pretty miraculous. And when I first got to know you, I was really blown away by one, the fact that you're still after it, y'all. She's like going strong and it's amazing, but you're so passionate about it and not just the what you do, but what other people do and how you can help them. So I want to hear about that part of who you are. Well, basically, I have to go back a tad to my dad, honestly, because uh, my grandfather, DiMartino, uh, came to the United States from Italy at 16. He was a twin and lived in a little town in Italy, and his mother didn't have enough milk for the two babies. So he was wet nursed by, as they called it, by another woman who had lost her child. So he became very close with those, uh, that family. And so when they were coming to America, it wasn't that he didn't have a relationship with his own family, but he was also close with them. And so he really saw it as an opportunity more than just coming with them. So when he came to the United States, of course, he came to New York. And where Madison Square Garden is, Tamara, was a very fancy hotel back in the day. And he became what they called a tin cup boy. So creating the um, foam, you know, for doing a straight razor and the shaving cream. Whoa. And yeah. And so he uh, he passed and I was young, so I don't remember him. But story goes that, you know, he loved ladies and loved doing uh, the, like the Zigfield girls. And so they would come to Alberto uh, DiMartino. And so one, though, a very wealthy guy from Long Island who was, in, let's say, working on Wall Street, um, loved him and said, I'm going to bring you out. So I have my you know, private barber. And he set my uh, grandfather up in business. And so my dad saw his father doing not only the barbering piece, but the hair salon piece, which was in the back of the barbershop. And so after the Second World War, when my father was in the Air Force, he got a job with a large paper company 
and was selling uh, many products, but one was wet strength tissue for underbedding for hospitals. So he said, Ray said, Ray DiMartino, I bet this would work for perming because he saw his father doing perms, you know, with that like rocket ship and cloth. And so he cut it up, Tamara, and brought it to salons in the New York City area and said, try this. And of course, by this point, they were not using a cloth. They were using a, a non-woven material called mesh, but it was very expensive. And these people were reusing them. So very unsanitary. So he brought this tissue to them and said, try this. And of course it worked and it was very inexpensive and it was disposable. So us kids were packing end papers in our basement, Tamara. I was like five. That is so cool though. I mean, what a crazy story. And this is where I think so many people get stuck in entrepreneurship. Because I think it has to be this like magnificent understanding or that you have to have all the fine details understood or you need to write a business plan or you need to go to a bank and get a loan. Like it's actually not that hard. No, it's your heart. It's your mind, your spirit and that passion, that passion. He knew, you know, Ray was, um, as my mother said, Many years later, and by the uh, by the way, all of my grandparents are were immigrants. So my grandmother, Irish uh, Ireland, uh, her dad, and then Germany, her mom. So there is that spirit as well with them. And as my mother said years later, Ray, she's more like you than any of our kids because I was the middle child of four. And um, and so when I was starting my first business in 1992, my dad called me and said. I know you won't listen to me, but it's very hard what you're going to, about to do. It's very hard, but I know you're going to do it. So just know that I'm here. Uh, and so meaning from not financially, at first he did not, you know, invest any capital into the business because he, the years later, he told me you have to see it for yourself if you could do it. Now, mind you, my friend, this was 1992. And so I fast forward over many things, but I worked for, I will share back that Ray started manufacturing NRAPs. I must probably tie this together. Um, so he went to the uh, guy that was one of the board members of this very large paper company and said, would you have any interest in joining me? I'm leaving and starting my own business. And this man did. And he, um, this gentleman and my father put together a business. And so he was older than my father, but they, he was very generous with my father to enable him to almost have it within that larger company. But it gave my father the opportunity to establish his business and grow it. And, okay. And so in 1982, um, my father um, kept calling me and saying, need you to come and join us because I want to add some products to the beauty division, because in the 70s, he developed dental and medical laboratory products. They are they're still in business. My father's no longer with us, but my brother, Michael, runs this business and um, dental and medical laboratory. So if you've ever had a X-ray, hello, that bite wing tab, Rayson manufactures that for Darby Dental. Wow. And that went so, from something like a perm, which is now outdated. I always wanted a perm so bad because I have straight hair. So I always wanted curly hair. But to know that it, it this is the evolution of entrepreneurship, once you get to that place of unlock and that belief, I think is such a huge part for that person who was essentially a stranger, maybe a colleague or a coworker to have that belief in him and then to help him in that and support. I mean, I think there's so many conversations happening in this one conversation. This is such a cool story. Exactly. But now in reference to myself, remember, I had a, a dream of being a dress designer, you know, a clothing designer, fashion designer what it would be called but this is too you know like you said the story is too long but the bottom line is that um, a decision I made and it's based on um, love and 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 a decision was based on love and the right reasons but it was also based on uh, fear so to speak because in the late 60s when I was in college the world was very polarized like it is today. 
and I was in college in DC and the cool fun thing to do was to march. And it was not comfortable for me. Um, I, you know, it, it just was not, I didn't know what pot was. I mean, the whole scene was not comfortable. Let's just say that. Yeah. Okay. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go to FIT where I really wanted to go to school in the beginning, but my parents wanted me to go to a Catholic girls college. So I went to Marymount in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, but my folks had moved into Manhattan by this point. And so I, talked them into that. And then I made meaning to go to FIT and work though. And so I got a job at Lord and Taylor in a buyer's training program. And then, as I said, I was like, I did not have my North star truly. My parents, I was, my younger brother was in college. I was, you know, it, but where I grew up, we had moved from that home. So it's not that they weren't interested in me, but they were on to a new peer of their life. And so I felt lost. So I married my boyfriend. Yep. And I started throwing up on the 803. I was commuting to Manhattan to work with Mrs. Peppard in Lord and Taylor and go to FIT. I had this really great plan put together, Tamara, but life happened. And so I do not regret that, but it, it took me off course. And that is what my little book is about, these earlier years, and um, about hope and possibilities, because I never lost sight of my dream of creating. You know, obviously, I was not going to be a fashion designer but I knew that I could not breathe. And this is what my mother was saying years later, that Ray, she's more like you than any of our children, because, and this is what you see in me today, Tamara, is that if I was not creating, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, I couldn't live. And so, um, you know, so the story is long and the, the um, twists and turns, but in 1982, after I uh, divorced my first husband, and it, and again, that's a whole other story, and it is in my little book. But um, my fa I was working in Manhattan, and I had two small children, and I was working in sales and advertising, and loving it. But it was not the right thing to do with two small children uh, commuting to Manhattan. That's hard. It was not. Did you have that sense of mom guilt that everybody talks about? Do you feel? Yeah. I stood up and said, on, yeah, um, it's age. It's no age, right? It's that it's no, so hard. It is very, very hard. So at that same time, my dad was calling me because he was my dad, I'm sure. But also he wanted to add some products to the beauty division, which were private label and wraps. And so the the uh, and private label meant the distributor in the area like Sally Beauty which everyone knows, correct. Um, but th if they bought 10 cases, it had an imprint on it of the distributor. But he wanted to add some products to the beauty division. And I really did not want to move. Now they're way, they're past where we were the other night. Okay, so way out east, way. I really didn't want to live out there, but on the other side of the coin, I recognized by this point, now I had a fair amount of experience. And I, I recognized that if I was going to create something on my own, I needed the, the piece that they would, he, he would offer me, which was market research, going into the market, seeing what the market needed, uh, putting that, uh, sourcing the material, putting it together, packaging, marketing, and then taking it to market. And I was able to uh, know I mean, you would never get that experience in a large corporation. Never. No, not firsthand like that. And in, I think the connections in that is also so important because then you can really do that market research in a whole nother level because it's people in the granular experience versus just the consumer. Exactly. It's really amazing. Yes, it, it was a truly amazing opportunity in time. And, and when I say time, it was in the early 80s. And that's when... 
Um, and I'm sure you've heard Tim's story speak about Vidal Sassoon, you know, and work doing some education with the Paul Mitchell schools. Well, that whole genre, meaning Aveda products, Horst um, Sassoon, and uh, Paul Mitchell and so forth were evolving. The whole industry was beginning to evolve. And so I was in the middle of that. And so when I did what my dad did, you know, walking in with his tissue there, I would go to salons and say, what do you need? And but it had to be paper. And so in reference to paper, because they're a paper converter. Um, and I'll explain in a minute what that really means. But um, the acrylic world, acrylic nails were just happening, just beginning. Asian thing hadn't happened yet. This is a whole history. This is amazing, you guys. <laughs> it, it really is. And someday I am going to write this because there is a timeline. People really need to understand this for so many, because it does have that application back to what we're speaking about business and entrepreneurship. But what they said to me was, you know, uh, they're ruining our towels. And what they meant by that is powder and acrylic uh, nails. All those companies, Creative Nail to OPI, started from the dental industry. All of them. That's Some fashion. Because of, because of bonding teeth. Okay? Oh, so they just put it on. That is how it started. And so they were clever enough or wise enough to know that they need, because there was no such thing as a nail tech. It was just a cosmetologist that did it all, so to speak. You know, they would do a manicure, a pedicure maybe, but there was no such thing as a nail tech. Even from a licensing position in the United States, the entire United States, there was no separate nail licensing. So these companies like Dr. Nordstrom from uh, Creative Nail, was wise enough, clever enough to then go into these distributors and start educating the cosmetologists how to do these cool acrylic nails, okay? So then Megan walks in and said, what do you need in reference to paper? And they said, well, they're ruining our terry towel, our waffle cotton towel, because that stuff hardens and destroys the towel. So my father's genius over the years became, and that's what you were referring to earlier, was sourcing of material. So when I went to uh, my dad, I said, okay, dad, or Ray, as we called him, um, um, you know, and I shared, you know, different uh, salons sharing these uh, anecdotal stories. And so he started sourcing non-woven material because I asked them, what does it need to be like? And they said, it needs to be absorbent and lint-free. Lint-free was a biggie. Because of the yeah, get all over your nails. Yeah, it'd be terrible. Yeah, right. So Ray did the sourcing, and we put together the original. And I say original because Kimberly Clark knocked us off, and others. They did. I was called the towel lady. They didn't have any idea I was Ray's daughter. But I'm out there like what you see now, you know. And I said, Dad, we need to do a sample program to because I started going to the distributor trade shows. Um, because they had manufacturers reps and I told these guys I needed to come. Okay, whatever. I mean, they thought I was crazy, but the only reason that they paid any attention, I'm sorry about the reps, was because they made a lot of money from the end reps because the 80s perming was big. That is so insane. So it now has transitioned into this nail place, but I know that there's, you have the skincare line. So when did that okay. side? So then, so what happened, Tamara, and this is a really interesting piece to this story for all of us, girls and the like of spa. Well, spa didn't exist at all. There was no such thing, zero, unless you went to a destination type of location. So what we know today did not exist. So, but the nail thing had to happen before spa happened. So somewhere in the mid eighties um, to the latter eighties, uh, natural nails started to come in and that was the forerunner to spa. It really was because aromatherapy, there were different things about it. Um, waxing, waxing didn't exist. Gigi honey, it came in from Canada. The gal that invented, I mean, uh, Anna, I could go on and on. And, and so you could see this. And so by the late eighties, salons started calling themselves full service salons. And that meant didn't call themselves a spa yet because they really weren't doing skincare. But then what happened was that in 19, 
85, six ish, um, I started brewing this idea that I needed to add skincare. And because back, and I'll share this one little piece, in 1973, I was working in Bloomingdale's uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. That by this point, we, as a family, we're living in Connecticut. And I went to Bloomingdale's to apply for a job. And with my background, they said, well, you know, you need something more than this. And like a Christmas job, so to speak. And they were bringing in a line called Biba, which was featured in um, the movie of uh, Freddie Mercury, Queen. And his girlfriend, Mary, worked at Biba. She was a major store in London, Carnaby Street, you know, from the Beatles to, you know, Mick Jagger and so forth. And um, so she was cut a deal with Bloomies and brought it in. But the revolutionary thing was that they positioned it in the junior department. So now that's very common to have, you know, cosmetics or certainly, you know, accessory type products in, you know, the junior department, not on the main floor, not in the, you know, uh, traditional skincare cosmetics. So I was young and they said, uh, they wanted me to work with this Biba. So I was trained by the makeup artist from Biba. So that's a very important piece to me because during that period, and I remember it like it was yesterday, it was a Saturday and um, Don McLean's Bye Bye American Pie was playing. Drove the Chevy to the levee and the levee yes, went dry. I do know that one. <laughs> and that was playing. And I had this Holy Spirit moment saying, someday you're going to do this. Now, do this, what does that mean? But God doesn't answer those questions, you know, but it was here for all those years. So now fast forward to the late 80s and paper, okay, I mean, I was creative and, you know, working with my dad, um, but I knew there was more. And so in that period of time, the late 80s, um, I was offered to interview for a job with Alcon Laboratories, which is in Fort Worth, Texas. And that's what brought me to Texas. Okay, okay. okay. So Alcon is owned by Nestle, meaning it's an international multi-billion dollar corporation. Um, and they manufacture products ostensibly for the ophthalmologist. If you wear contacts, you know Alcon contacts a solution, um, but the dermatologist as well. And they had just bought a small lab of hair care products, very you know, uh, medicinal, NDC coated. And they wanted to repackage, reposition, and bring new products into it. And so hence the gentleman that was running that division approached me saying, would you like to, he had gotten to know me and knew what I had done with all of these products that I, you know, transformed this race and end paper company. And so uh, I, I knew that it was time. My older daughter was going to be a senior in high school. She could finish and they're five years apart, my daughters and the younger gal. That's what I was saying the other day. I mean, they're like, oh, my God, this poor woman is dragging us around the world. But um, she, you know, she was 11. So it was a good time to move. <clears throat> so we I flew to they flew me to uh, Fort Worth, Texas, interviewed, offered the job. And we moved, packed up the wagon train and moved to Fort Worth, Texas in 1987. <clears throat> but it's frankly took that job because I knew I could hang out with very sophisticated chemists because Tamara, there was no Mr. Google. There was no internet. There was nothing. And the products that I, I didn't even know what I wanted to develop, but I'm smack dab in the middle of the baby boomer generation. And I knew what I was looking for and it wasn't out there. It wasn't uh, the only product. Yeah. The only product that had any result oriented activity, as we call it, was night repair from Estee Lauder, which is okay. still on the market. Yeah. But there was nothing. And so I knew that I could pick their brain and get to know. And I was also ready for an adventure. And so we moved. Uh, that uh, summer. So I worked with them from 19. Um, uh, well, we moved in uh, the end of 87 uh, school time. And then 
I was with them until about 90. And um, basically didn't necessarily, Don McLean time didn't say I had to have my own business. It was just, I was going to create something, right? So I, we were working on a, a hair line, hair product line based on hyaluronic acid. I'm sure you have heard of hyaluronic acid because it's a, it's a tour de force today, but this is in the late eighties. And the only reason Alcon was working in that is because it initially was for eye surgery because it's a very large molecule. Mm. So, so therefore that science was there. And my, uh, the, my boss, the gentleman that I, you know, worked with, um, you know, it was discussing different ingredients with the chemists. And so we put this line together called Hyaluron. So I, what does Megan do? I create, I'm working on it, designing it, but I did a whole storyboard on a skincare portion of it. And my, I brought it to my boss. I was so excited. I presented this and he looked at me and he said, skincare doesn't sell. Oh and yeah, and it's now billions and billions of dollar industry. That's so crazy. But this is before spa happened, before aesthetics. Now the nail had, but then he cited, you know, Redken had tried, and this one had tried, and it. But the baby boomer hadn't gotten old enough yet. But as important as that, the science hadn't happened yet. You see, so. Um, I w didn't quit my job. I had a child in college, you know, but I said, this is not going to work forever. So I knew that I was not going to stay there, but another year plus two years almost. Um, but I started doing my, um, not exit strategy as much as, you know, really uh, looking into the market. And the other advantage I had being inside that publicly traded, very large international company is I was privy to because there was no Google, no websites. I was privy to internal marketing, in, uh, international information. And I read in 1980, excuse me, 90, that Avon, Avon was going to launch a single product. And this is 90. And they were going to launch in the spring of 92, this product called Anu, based on glycolic acid. And I, my marketing brain said, this glycolic acid must be something because if you think about Avon, it's the Avon lady in that catalog. Other than Skin So Soft, which is a bug repellent, they didn't market any name, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I do remember yes. that. Yeah. Yes. So I went to the head chemist, brought him a beer after hours, and I said, Raymond, tell me about glycolic acid. <laughs> Really, Raymond Bollinger, and um, wonderful guy, very, you know, very serious. But he was used to me. Beer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I, I had to bring the beer for sure. And I, and he, you know what he said, Tamara? He goes, well, you know, he started talking about alpha chains and beta chains. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're talking to me. And he went, oh, okay. And then he said, well, I remember going, well, I guess exfoliation. Oh, Okay. But still, there was no information out there. But to, to make a long story short, I started calling labs around the United States and found a lab that was going into R&D of uh, going into R&D of glycolic. Just in 1990 timeframe. That seems insane. Exactly. So everything that you see and know is from then. Correct. Yes. Yes. It's so fast. It, it brings like a whole pr new, pr I literally didn't know any of this. It brings a whole new perspective of one time. And we talk about time all the time in correlation to God's perspective of time, one year, a thousand years, thousand years, you know, one day and understanding that. And then realizing that if we activate today, what could become right? Like in that becoming process, how beautiful it is. And we feel like it's so slow and painful and timing, but you just have to start somewhere. And you were you were literally like flipping over every rock that you could, which is really powerful and clearly an entrepreneurial trait that most people um, end up lacking. And that's why most entrepreneurs don't succeed. But here you are still moving. That's so incredible. Quick commercial break. I know I hate these things too, but it's so critical that you grow your business for God's sake. 
and I mean that, pun intended, with all the love in my heart to get you from a place of ideation to activation. Stop dreaming, start doing, stand up, start saying yes to the call that God has on your life. We are going to be joining in Lexington, Kentucky with none other than the beautiful Rise and Grind community with Glenn Lundy, who will be co-hosting this incredible conference. This is the second annual, and he has taken me under his wing to be able to share this stage to motivate and inspire, and I cannot wait to see you there. November 5th through the 7th, if you want to come in for the VIP experience, which who doesn't want to come along for VIP? That's all access passes to the speakers and the artists and you'll be able to dine with us in the private rooms with your own special bathrooms. So of course, come one day, two day, three day passes available as well. And we cannot wait, as Glenn and I say, to hug your neck. See you there. So you're looking for R&D. And I, I found a company that was working in it, but I do want to segue to what you just said about um, the Lord. And I moved to Texas, as I said, in 87. And I, every person, every person that I had, you know, a relationship with my secretary to my stylist was talking about this, uh, this Jesus. Now as a Catholic, and I'm not criticizing Catholics, but it's not a relationship. And um, of course I went to Catholic school all my life, except for junior high. And so I didn't have that understanding of Jesus. And so one day I said to my secretary, Debbie, who was moving, I said, let's have dinner. And I asked her, I said, who is this Jesus to you? And she shared her her journey, Tamara. And then God used, um, and this is, to me, is this the key to me right here, is that God uses everyone, everyone. And so after that, Um, I had a friend, his name was Jim Miller, and he was not a boyfriend, but he was a friend, and we used to walk all the time, and he was an ex-vice Dallas cop who was in the garage when Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Whoa. Whoa. Now, by this point, he's in the oil and gas industry, but we were buddies, and one day, I was at his office, and we were about to go for a walk. And he was flipping channels and he had this um, uh, TV evangelist guy on. And I stood there and I was listening and I said, hmm, that's a good word or something like that. He goes, oh, do you want, now this is God. Do you want to go to church someday? He's here in Dallas. Well, sure. And I did. And wow, I just was knocked over. So then that was a church called Church on the Rock. Larry Lee, and um, there was a church on the rock in Fort Worth and uh, Jeff Wickwire. And so one uh, Wednesday night by myself, I walked into that church and for maybe two months, every time there was an altar call, I was down at the altar. (laughs) I know that feeling all too well. (laughs) And one day, Tamara, this woman, these big, long, dangly earrings, and this heavy tax, Texas accent said to me, honey, honey, I don't know what you did, but it doesn't really matter. God, you, you're forgiven. <laughs> and I said to her, yeah, it can't be that easy. It can't be that easy mm-hmm. because it is. And I, I'll never forget that as long as I live. And so the, the essence is that God will move mountains. to. That I look at the Trinity as a boardroom. Okay, what are we going to do with this one? She's got a heart for us, but so we'll move her down to the Bible Belt, you know. And so I, you know, basically I am so open to pay attention to listen to people and their hearts, you know, because it's really what God wants us to be that vessel, that light to help others see, you know. And you really are. I mean, it's amazing to witness you when you're with people. I mean, you guys at this conference, I would see her sitting at this one table. And by the time there was like a gap, she would be up 
and beeline herself to people. And, and you were like that woman who came over and regardless of what came out of your mouth, you're, you just have this sense of, of peace and almost like an all knowing um, that, that we just lean on so much. So I am, I see it in action. And so that deposit, um, the Holy Spirit is surely within you. It's really amazing. And that has sustained me, Tamara. And coming from you, I truly, you know, appreciate the endorsement, the acknowledgement, because I am human, you know. But then back to Raymond Bollinger there and, um, you know, the um, R&D then. Um, and so I found this lab and put together my first brand, Glycolique. And I left my job and uh, my boss was not happy, happy. But um, but I said to him, John, you know, I'm doing this for me, not to you. And he got that. He got that. He did. And because he had taken a, he had left a big corporate job to kind of spearhead this thing. So he, he did understand it. And so uh, years later, by the way, remember, this is the man that said skincare didn't sell. Maybe four or five years later, he called me. Said, do, you want, do you want to do something with me? I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you missed the train. You missed the train. You missed the train. So I started Glycolique, but I was very undercapitalized. And as you've heard, uh, like Amelia speak about this, now she's much younger than I, but, you know, a little uh, later in time. But, you know, the, the banks would not loan me money, uh, even though it was doing well. I mean, I, I was a woman. It just, you know, I didn't have a wealthy husband. I didn't have deep collateral. I mean, it just, there was no way. And so I built it to over seven figure, um, you know, I did. And, um, but the lab that manufactured it from the very beginning asked if I wanted to sell it to them. They did because they had tried to get into this wholesale beauty industry very small industry at that time, very networked. That's what, you know, Tim Story basically is speaking about, really, really. And um, but they failed miserably. But I had worked for two companies, right? I had worked for my family's company and then Alcon, this other division of theirs. And so I knew the players. And so I was able to, uh, like colleague, was able to be introduced and the distributors, the purchasing agents or the uh, buyers would say, I don't know, Megan, but, you know, you, you, you know what you're doing. So we'll give you a shot. But but it, I, I marketed it in a small system, very similar to what you tried. It was even smaller, though. It was a three step system because I knew that the salesman, because it was mostly men who were going into the salon because spa hadn't happened we're going to then speak to the stylist and sell it to them. So it had to be simple, but packed a powerful punch. And that has been my philosophy. I mean, yes, it's a much larger line, you know, Novitop, then Glycolique, but I ended up selling it to them in 95, late 95, um, because I needed to, I felt that if I, um, and I ran it contractually for them for about almost two years. But if I then had the proper funding, I could start again. Because it was such a struggle, you know, factoring every order and on and oh my God. So really. I could so, only imagine. And I think there's a, a component to that. And I've yet to read Sharon Lecture's Exit Rich book. Um, and I'm excited to do so. But I think it's interesting to think of it from that perspective. It was not about like, a get rich quick scheme, but more so how can I do this better? And knowing that your dream was just getting started really in that realm, that you were willing to let go of the baby in order to have the toddler. Right. And I think, um, there's just a lot to that that I, I don't think people really process often. They just think that you're getting out, but you're like, I'm getting in I'm actually about to play ball. Exactly. hundred percent. You analyze that very Clearly. And that book, by the way, Exit Rich, I mean, Sharon is one of my, uh, she's a friend, but she is a mentor and I just really love and admire her. But that book, everyone should have that if they're in business because it gives you, I mean, it's a, a true, I mean, it, it'll end up, I know Sharon well enough, it'll be a course um, and, and a deep course because there's so much to it, even running your own family. 
Wow. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it really has such depth and uh, facets to it that every on that book, really. I, I bought it as a case when she came on to Breakfast with Champions before even really knowing the depths of her other than her rap sheet of incredible um, pieces. And so I've gifted it and I've yet to read it, but I have books following me around everywhere I go. So I need to put it on the top, I guess. But it's the kind of book that you can go, you, you do not pick it up on Saturday and, and end it Sunday. You do not. Uh, but it's a book that you will go through tag things, go back to, it's just a great, almost textbook. It truly, truly is great. Really neat. So, so now, so tell me, like, cause we're getting close on time and I'm like, I feel like there's so many questions I have to ask you is knowing that you, you exited this one business, you knew you were about to jump into this next opportunity. I love how you shared with us how your faith exploration kind of evolved in that season as well. When that happened, were you in that relationship experience in Christianity where you felt like this was a God move or a God thing, or were you even unpacking him at that point in that context? I truly believe and believe is not the right word. I know that the, uh, God allows things to happen in our lives so that we really learn and grow. And um, there's a component in that story that is very involved. I'm talking about selling it to the, the other company and so forth. So that, but um, there was a challenge in there. Um, and and uh, like you said, we're running out of time. But every decision from that moment on, I leaned on God. I trusted in God. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 has been for years and years and years my foundational scripture. Foundational. As a matter of fact, Me too. As a spa, that was the code for the back door. Uh, <laughs> that's mine. That was the first verse I ever memorized. And to this day, it's always the one I go back to. It's, it's so foundational. So basically, I started Novita, New Birth, New Life. That is what it means, an Italian word. And it was more appropriate also than leaning my, uh, hanging my hat on glycolic acid because I knew that ingredients would evolve, and that's what happened. So Novita gave myself and my chemist, who I met at the original lab, and he had started his own business by this point. He's been with me forever. He's a fabulous um a pharmaceutical grade chemist. He's a wonderful, brilliant guy and so wonderful person as well. And so started Novita in 97, went back to the distributors. They said, oh, you did it before you do it again. Come on, let's go. And so we but then in the early 2000s, the distributors, which were uh, privately owned, started selling their businesses to Alberto Culver, who owns the Sally stores and L'Oreal, who owns uh, uh, the, um, meaning Redken. They, so they started buying all the Redken houses. And I was in pretty much all of them around the United States. And so the structure of the industry was changing. It was just truly changing to much more of a big corporate structure. And so at that same time, my mother-in-law from my first marriage, who was a very dear friend, was in her latter stages of Alzheimer's. She needed help. Her husband needed help. And I um, said, you need help, buddy. And my daughter, Jill, had married and moved to De uh, Fort, from Fort Worth to Austin. And I knew this area was far better for them. And I changed my entire life to take care of Rose Fiorello because she was so good to me, Tamara, so good to me. Um, she was so good to my daughters. And uh, I told her when I divorced her son that I would not leave her. I told her that. She said, I'm going to lose you, too. I said, I promise you that won't happen. So when I when I make a, a promise, I try to keep it. And so um, I am an esthetician by license. I got my license in the early 90s up in Fort Worth. So I took a one room studio in Georgetown, Texas, and didn't even live here and took that studio and drove back and forth when I wasn't traveling, doing shows with distributors and the like. And so I came, I saw that I did like it here. It was too much for my daughter to handle the her go-go passing from that horrible disease. And so I came to Georgetown, Texas and started the Novita Spa, moved it up to the square, expanded it another time, another step to about 4,000 square feet and built it from a luxury day spa. That's why I call it the hybrid. So that in your notes, um, and that is that hybrid concept 
is a uh, intellectual property that Michael Lecter says to me, Megan, that's the deal. I said, I know, I know. Meaning it's combining luxury day spa with clinical medical and wellness with the products tying it all together. And so, people don't currently do that right now? To the degree of this, because I mean, I've been to some medical spas that are not a doctor's office any longer. Um, but it is, and, and the concept is expanding, it is, but not to the degree of really, as we discuss even this weekend, it's about that uh, the client experience as uh, Steve Jobs so aptly put it, they don't really, they're still, sorry folks, uh, physicians, they're still physicians. You know, and so it's that's the difference of it and tying those products together with it. Last year, in the middle of the lockdown, I, Austin Women's Magazine, I was contacted. We were nominated for a finalist for the Austin Women's uh, Women's Way Awards and um, in the product innovation category. And I said, what what is the product, meaning the Novitop products? She said, no, you're hybrid because I would market that. So it's a concept, right? We didn't win, but as Melinda Garvey said to me, Megan, do you realize how many, you know, hundreds of people applied for this? And um, and I didn't, someone applied for me. <laughs> and, and, so, and, so, and so it was such an honor to really, I'm talking about timeliness, because during that lockdown, somebody knocked on my door and said, do you want to sell me your business. But I said, after communicating with this person, I didn't want to sell the trade name, the product line, the website, meaning the URL, which I'd had since 98, the shopping cart, because that's, as we now know, funnels, you know. And um, and so I said, no, but if you're interested in an asset purchase, yes, meaning the lease, goodwill, database, and so forth. And of course, expensive equipment. And so, um, and that happened June 1st, 2020, we closed. So it's been a journey. And, um, you know, I'm working on many projects, as you know, and, uh, but the book, and I will share this with a little piece. I did marry a, my second husband, never planning on ever getting married again. But I met Paul Tyler at church here in uh, the Georgetown, Texas area. And I uh, just knew in my spirit, it was something I was supposed to do. And he had a stroke though in nine, 2009, we married in six and um, threw him into a horrible situation. And I see God's hand in it very clearly that he truly, before he fell apart, he got me, he affirmed me. And you understand this piece, you do. Um, he understood me. He supported me, he, you know, I don't mean financially, I'm talking about emotionally and, and uh, from a career position. And and God knew that he was going to need an advocate for this dreadful disease, Lewy body syndrome. So the night that he passed that morning, as this day was dawning, the backyard was full of white butterflies. And I'm like, I had been up for two days and I'm like, well, am I hallucinating? You know, I was like, what's going on here? And, um, but then I put my head on the kitchen table. And I started praying, Father, give me, what, what, are, you, what are you telling me? I, I know there's something here. And I started raising my head and I heard, share your story. And I had started working on, in 2019, a business course or program. And then I got this crushing thing in my spirit. You're not doing what I said. Stopped that, wrote that little book, published it, and it went to number one on Amazon, January 4th, which is my mother's birthday. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> so, you know, it's that's a short of a very long journey, but it is the title of the book is Hope and Possibilities Just Over the Horizon. It's never too early or too late to create the life of your dreams. Ever. 
You guys, there's so much to that. I feel like it could be almost like a documentary blended with your your individual story as a movie. Because how cool would it be like to go back to New York City in that time frame and see the textiles and before all of that? Because every woman uses products. I mean, I've got products around me like everywhere, right? And to understand how it evolved. And even in my lifespan, half of the stuff didn't even exist. And I I just can't even comprehend that. Um, but more so, even in that, the faith journey that existed, it could be a beautiful, we're, we're going to have to make it a film. I don't know how we should have asked that as a help, <laughs> help statement at the conference. You know, and I, I know this in my spirit. I, I am so blown away that you picked that up. I'm just like, so, because now I know that's affirming. We, we prayed before this and I prayed the Jabez prayer as I was putting on my lipstick. And um, because I know, I know that this should be a film because it will help women. Exactly. I'm, I'm feeling the same way. And I mean, I see it in my mind, like you said about New York and you were there last weekend, you know. I Can mean, I play the younger version of Megan in your movie? Because <laughs> I think I could totally rock the Megan that you are. <laughs> I mean, with my mini uh, dresses and my knee highs, uh, you know, and Mrs. Peppard taking me through the garment district. She, you know, the one that I work for and Lord and Tiller, you know, Megan, come on, let's go to Lily Pulitzer. Oh, Bonnie Cashin, who was the founder of Coach. People, there, it wasn't this big conglomerate. There was a Bonnie Cashin who did the turn... Yes. And she had these fabulous raincoats with those turn things. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's like devil wears Prada meets beauty industry meets like the street, the streets of even thinking about your parents, like coming over here. It's like, it's the American dream blended with like the vision of Christianity. And it's just, it's really beautiful. Uh, it's really, really beautiful. I uh, thank you so much for, you know, meaning to have, we could talk this way regardless of, you know, being on your podcast. But the thing is that I, what you and I both align to, and because this is your work, is to help people understand that God is in the middle of everything we do. We just have to let down our guard and let down our egos and allow the Holy Spirit to uh, guide you know, to start. And that's why start, scale and sustain. You know, the piece of this is the sustaining piece. And I've said this to Sharon. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and that people don't understand that. And you've shared this, it's your thoughts about this in this conversation, because they, they just want this immediate. And it is not that it is. If you're going to really succeed in life, look at our friend, Glenn Lundy. Holy crow. I mean, you know, Committed, committed, but he knows he's in the beginning of his journey and he's going to continue on. He's not going to stop. Yeah. And we are blessed to be a part of that for sure. And I think it's incredible to see the people that he's bringing together and um, you and I being two of those people in, in one way, shape or form. But this has been such a gift and I knew layers of it, but to see it all together in one, it's just, it really is magnificent. I've never, ever one time said out of my mouth on any podcast, 120 something episodes in that this should be a movie. So the fact that I affirm that for you is a kind of mind blowing to me. And again, you guys, this is like the, the listening, the active listening and actually participating in conversation with people and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you and then actually saying it rather than just processing it. I could hold that and just be like, oh, that would have been a cool movie. But this is when that next step, that Holy Spirit guidance of say this now allows this experience to transform into something just magical. Megan, you're a gem, as I have always said, and um, truly, truly, this was a special time. Thank you for sharing. My true, true joy, blessing and pleasure. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Hey y'all, it's me again. I hope in today's episode, you sense and ignite to an ember within you, something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. 
by snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment, and tag me at fitandfaith underscore podcast or me personally at tamara.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners. We're totally in this together. Community over competition is the motto, right? I'd also be incredibly grateful if you took an extra second to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast listening app. I'd love to feature your thought in the next episode and give you and your passion project a big shout out. You know I'm a writer, so I love words and I can't wait to read what you have to say. I'm ready to fuel the flame with you together. And until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. Tune in next time. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.